We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. Oh, mama. All right, guys. Welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Sveen Kami Amurabian. I am joined by, it's been a long time since we've seen a lot of these fellas. I'm joined by Jack Shields. Jack, how you doing? I'm all right. I'm, I'm good. Live and kicking. Um, That's always good news. Just, yeah. Just <laughs> I like to hear that. Killing. Uh, how, how, how's the how's the married life? Still, still, it's still going well? Yeah, it's, pretty it's far? Good. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, sometimes I get yelled at for leaving the toilet seat up and shit like that, but yeah. <laughs> You know what? Like, you tell life. her. You tell her to deal with it. I know. And, like, but, I mean, but, but then see what happens, whatever. and then tell us what happens afterwards because yeah, totally. we're live streaming. Yeah, and uh, so, that, that voice you just heard is from Steven. Steven, how how is life? How is everything? It's good. I've I finally finished my wedding season like venture, so I'm done with like the bachelor parties. I'm done with the weddings. I'm like free for like four months now. I, I and I swear to God, right, like. Any friend that has a wedding on a Saturday during football season or that's not on a bye week, there's something wrong with them. I did that too this year. I had to go to Austin for the uh, the Texas Tech game. So I, I remember that. That was that was that was shameful. I should, they should be full, filled with shame. It's true. Well, and, they were OSU fans. So well, yeah. Well, they're not expecting that. They don't season they don't ticket holders games, yeah. that, but. Uh, well, the typical, typical enough. You gotta this, get married this, on a Friday. If the you're stadium, yeah. The, the stadium is never. Oh no, the, this was like full. a full, like half week event, like Wednesday through Saturday. Oh my yeah. god, no. Yeah, it was an event wedding. That's too much. Destination wedding, whatever you want to call it. Oh, well, that's fair to keep 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 the others out. And the voice you haven't heard yet, uh, we're joined by Chisholm Holland today. You've probably heard him on the radio. Uh, specifically <laughs> at the franchise, that man is everywhere. Thanks for joining us tonight, Jism. How are you, man? Doing good, brother. I appreciate it. A uh, couple pieces of advice. I've been married a little while, Jack. That's not going to work. Don't do that. <laughs> like that's <laughs> you're asking, you're cruising for a bruiser, as my grandpa would say. I, I've got to like. There's persistence there. I've got to like just kind of keep going. Yeah, you know, sure. maybe I'll get my way there, but you know, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, and Steven, uh, this is a little bit bigger here, but bro, I hated going to weddings. It was my least favorite thing. I, it drove me nuts. It ruined weekends, right? You're spending all this time and all this it's money insane. doing this. Yeah, it's I'm awful. Now. I'll, I'll have a kid and just be like, sorry, kid, man, can't come. It's it's the ultimate, like, sorry, I can't do it. I feel like there's like a fine trade-off there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't, don't get me wrong. There is. But like now someone asked me to help him move. Can't do it. Got a kid. But now, like, you want me to go to a football game on a Saturday? I'm there. I'm there. My mom, my wife can watch the kid, Babysit but or something, yeah, 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 whatever. But you know, don't have to worry about going to weddings anymore. Damn, I might have that, to have kids. It's a great. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, uh, the clock is ticking suddenly. You know, yeah. it starts to make you think about those things. Yeah. There, there are there are benefits to that, including tax write offs, right? Yeah, you, come on now. You get yeah. those things, right? Yeah, that is something I do want. So tax write offs. This year that, was be... not kind to the taxes. <laughs> Tax, tax, and ta- hey, tax, hey, taxation is theft, bro. This this country is founded on that. You know, I don't want to pay my taxes on tea. What? <laughs> Anyways, let let's let's talk about football. Let's talk about Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma, since we've last talked all together, the game we have not had the gang back together for it feels like for forever. It's been a while between grad school and everybody's work and everything in between. It's been fun. Um, Oklahoma starts their own like kind of NIL group, the One Oklahoma Collective. Chisholm, because you are new to the show with us, sure. what is your view on this idea and how it impacts NIL for the University of Oklahoma, where many people thought, oh, like Oklahoma can't compete with Texas and Texas A&M as far as money, and suddenly now they have established a collective in which I'm sure there are many moving parts behind the curtain. Yeah, well. yeah. yeah, so I, I mean, the collective thing is – it's like the industry standard, right? Like, you know, it's just kind of what the expectation is from all these major programs. Uh, so Oklahoma jumping on that bandwagon doesn't shock me. I will say, I think that one's a little far away from actually like doing anything. <laughs> like, mm, I think fair. that, I think there was a push to make sure it got announced before the spring game and rightfully so, right? Like it was a big recruiting weekend. Obviously all the kids that were up there, you know, uh, you know, Ryan or Brian Chapman or Bob Prisbilla, who I talked to pretty frequently, you know, estimated about 50 kids, uh, you know, so that's a big weekend. And if you can make an announcement like that the day before, it matters. I don't think they're like functional. Uh, so there's some work to do there, but it is, it is like the industry standard. I like the way that Oklahoma's going about it. You know, first off, Switzer heading it up is hilarious. Uh, and then, uh, you know, adding the chair charity element to it is I think a nice touch as opposed to the Texas A&M thing, which is, I mean, just show up and we'll, we'll just put some money in an envelope and we'll pull this thing off. Uh, or Tennessee, who's like, just name your price. We are desperate to have anyone in here with a pulse. So, you know, the Oklahoma angle is a little bit nice, but I would say it's uh, it's a little bit more in theory right now than in practice from what I understand. The the real robbery of all of it is that if Switzer's, Switzer's heading it up, but he didn't head it up visually with a damn fur coat on, which is just <laughs> shame. Yeah. Needed the fur coat. I mean, like, you know how many hundreds of dollars, like how many hundred dollar bills he had in the pockets of those coats. Oh yeah, I would have just, just driven the nail home on the irony of this whole thing too. I mean, when you think of Switzer, you think of the Flash, you think of Bagmen, you think of you know a BMW for your mom and stuff like that. All that stuff that went down in the seventies and eighties. But uh, you know, the fur coat was a very big uh, visual part of that whole thing. So yeah, he um, absolutely missed the boat on that. I'm a little disappointed. So got some bad advice there. Yeah, that, that, that's that's fair. And like, so as a as a collective. For the listeners, what what is what does this even mean? Like, how does this how does this collective supposed to work in general? Because it's not just like boosters individually, just like having shit tons of oil money, even though that's what you would want. It, it's it's something else where there's like like you said, Chisholm. There's this charity involved and a lot of other complex things that go into it. And it's like, what does this look like in in practice? I guess or in theory, in as opposed to just a booster saying, Hey, let's make this kid like this, all these cars, let's give them Fowler mm -hmm. Toyota cars and vehicles. What is this? Big what red. is this operative? How does that, how does it work? <laughs> you know, big red has got to be the center oh, of all of this. God, man. Like they have to be the so content. I would get out of 15 hours a week. A big red was like the main sponsor of this collective. I just, I can't, I need it. I like, need it. <laughs> like red Bomar has to be continuously yes. pissed off. Right. I oh, wish oh, yeah. I was a big red and be like, dude, let's get you on a commercial, make up some uh, some lost value there. <laughs> yeah. So but, if you 
Yeah, the, well, yeah, go on, good. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so I think, first off, as everyone will read on the internet, like you hop on Twitter, everyone's like, oh, the wild, wild west of the NIL. And so collectives are a little bit like that too, right? It's From what I understand, they're a little bit all over the place as far as the structure because there's not a like a template that anybody's following. Every school's kind of taking their stab at it. Um, but in, in short, it's it's alumni, it's uh, former players, uh, which are a big part of that, which frankly I didn't anticipate originally, but like former players chipping in and kind of agreeing that annually they're going to contribute this much money to a, to a, to the collective, quote unquote. And then, you know, in Texas A&M's case, they are doing it through sponsorships as like social media posts and stuff like that. And just, you know, large quantities of money for that. In OU's case, they're making them do so many charity hours uh, through a semester uh, to earn that money. Um, and, you know, in Tennessee's case, they're doing uh, uh, on-site visits and autograph stuff like that. So, no, the McDonald's, way they, no McDonald's bags. No McDonald's bags. Happy okay. meals. No, 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 no. They moved up. Super they moved happy up. meals. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's all it's supposed to do is it's supposed to be a, it's, well, frankly, it's a workaround, right? Because NIL is supposed to be like you're doing something for an organization and they're paying you for your work. It, these collectives are just saying, well, we're just going to pull all of our money together and we're going to decide how we're going to distribute it. And then we'll just kind of make up something for these kids to do for the money. And so that way we can share. You know, so that's what it is, right? It, it's yeah. it's a workaround. Um, and, you know, that's why all the Ross Dellinger stuff this week, frankly, when it was, you know, they're all going to pull this all back and they're not going to let these guys do it. They're, 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 all, they're always going to find a way to, to work around these rules as long as the NIL stuff's part of it. Oh, so. we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about Dellinger. Yeah, well, we, we, <laughs> we certainly have that on the dock. And so getting to getting to getting to Steven. And so. With all this in mind, because of what happened, what's going on with Pittsburgh and their wide receiver and suddenly, you know, al- allegations of like, oh, tampering and all that stuff. And OU fans and Pittsburgh Panther fans were like rejoicing with each other as far as like just completely crapping on Lincoln Riley. And then I think a lot of reality hit a lot of not all Sooner fans because that's that's clearly not the truth. But many Sooner fans that, you know, the entire like feeling of getting like three or four guys from Tennessee and Mike Woods from Arkansas that which probably his career would have been better if he had stayed at Arkansas this past year for for the NFL draft uh, is concerned. Maybe that wasn't necessarily the most legal and it's like what what do you like think out of that what do you get out of that were you thinking that at the time or are we just now also realizing that and coming to terms with that i think we all kind of knew it at the time i mean i just i don't think um i don't think we really thought much of it though i mean we thought you know yay there's you know some behind the scenes tampering of course we kind of expected that in the new era of the portal with uh you know no real, uh, you know, sit outs or anything for transfers or anything like that. You knew it was going to be, there were going to be some, I don't know. I mean, inducements, there was going to be some contact and some tampering. There was going to be some behind the scenes communication through different channels and stuff like that. So we yeah, all Tennessee kind of feels a little that. bit different, right? Because they were like imploding, like right. in the yeah, moment, yeah. like at least for me, whenever it was like, Hey, they're snagging all these guys from Tennessee. It's like, yeah, they got yeah. caught putting McDonald's bags yeah. full yeah. of cash exactly. and lockers. Yeah. Like, of I mean, course they are. About, Everybody's you know, leaving. Three right? Of right. They're 30 transfers essentially. I mean, that's, that's not that weird at the time, but I mean, it's uh, you know, you see what's happening with Addison right now. And um, you know, it's, I think, Here's the thing. 
I think in the current landscape, I can't really blame Lincoln Riley for what he's doing right now. I can't blame Jordan Addison for doing what he's doing right now. Um, I don't have a problem with NIL, the way that that works. I think there's just a, they need to address the transfer rules at this point. I think keep NIL how it is. NIL's fine. I just think the uh, free transfers in the era of NIL maybe needs to be curbed back in some way. I think keep the grad transfer rule. That's great. Um, you know, keep, uh, you know, let players transfer whenever there's a coaching change. That's fine. I think you need to curb certain things within that landscape though. Uh, you know, keep NIL how it is. It's great. Players need to be compensated, uh, based on their market value essentially at this point. So, and I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's anti-capitalist to do otherwise, frankly. So, um, you know, I think what people need to address right now is the transfer portal, but no one feels like doing that right now. I think the, uh, the powers at that be right now, uh, they're seizing all of these headlines as an opportunity to say, Hey, the general public doesn't seem to like the current landscape. Hey, this is an opportunity for us to kind of batten down the hatches a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of strike back against this NIL thing, but it's not going to work. So, I mean, it's, you know, I wish the, uh, the discourse would shift towards the transfer portal here and less towards NIL, but not going to happen. It doesn't seem like, so I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of, uh, it's kind of a moving target right now over the next few weeks. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. So Jack, you're telling me that a scholarship and a free ride to the university of Oklahoma isn't enough. <laughs> no. Off of the millions of dollars they make off of jerseys every year. So that, here's that, the thing. I that, mean, that, that that graduate degree will last you a lifetime, Mr. Shields. <laughs> back in my day. By the way, it just got a raise and they built a new pool out back. When my house my house cost a raspberry instead of what it is now. Um so but both all these things encircle in a NIL, right? All, all these things that all together. And so, Steven, I'm gonna direct this question at you first. When NIL was first like legitimized as far as being a thing, what did you think it would entail or look like? Well, you would think it'd be more organized, right? Because I kind of, they introduced it and what they gave it like what a year for states to kind of get on board and pass their laws and that kind of stuff. But, you know, once everything was a go, there was no rules as far as what you do, what you can't do, um, you know, how to go about giving players money. So I thought it'd be a little more organized. I don't know if like the NCAA could really do anything about that. They really can't do anything about anything at this point um, other than pretty much get sued for any decision they make. But um, you'd think there'd be a little bit more structure. I think Oklahoma is kind of trying to do that in a good way. But um, when you're competing against Texas A&M, LSU, SEC right. schools, it's kind of, you don't want to hamper yourself too much and we'll see how Oklahoma goes about managing, I guess uh, their NIL money. So uh, I know schools can maybe get in trouble for it. Now that's what they're trying to do. Players obviously are going to get off scot-free, which they should. Um, there's no real harm in taking any money, but schools are going to be more liable for how money is just distributed than, uh, than the athletes. Uh, Jack, what do you think? I mean, I agree. I mean, if you're, uh, and you know, the way Steven just laid it out, I mean, and this is the way that, you know, this is, you know, kind of being reported by, uh, 
Ross Dellinger and Pat Forty as well. I mean, it's uh, it sounds like all of this is going to fall on the uh, the programs, which, frankly, you know, if you're going to punish anyone in this situation, it should be the programs. I mean, we've seen time and time again where the wrong people are punished for things like this. You know, when people uh, when you have NCAA sanctions, uh, coaches can leave immediately. Programs don't really, you know you know, athletic departments don't get hurt. You know, it's, it's nothing like that. I mean, you see players who have to in most cases, it. they get buyout money. They get paid. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the uh, players are the ones who truly suffer the consequences. Yeah, shit. I think, I think about the pony express uh, down at SMU. Right. Like that's the, oh, like, yeah. that, that 30 for th- that's one of the best, that's one of my favorite 30 for 30. It's one right. of the best yeah. ones in my opinion. Like it's just wild. How, like how all that went down, like you're suggesting. But... I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, at the same time though, I mean, I kind of frankly like how this is working out. I mean, I know a lot of people are not thrilled with how fast and loose it all is right now, but basically all it is is out in the open right now. This is essentially how it's been for 40 years, but now uh, players don't really have to worry about it anymore. They don't have to be secretive about their money or anything like that. I mean, it's all above board now. And I mean, it's, I understand why, you know, it needs a little bit of tinkering for sure, but uh, you know, I think, uh, NIL shouldn't really be the focus right now. I think there are other things that, you know, there are more pressing matters right now, I think. But I I guess I was, like, naive to the amount of things that this would amount to, if that makes sense. Like, I thought, oh, cool, video games, jersey sales, this. (laughs) The EA Sports game is coming back, thank God. Yeah, like, for real. That was, like, that was, like, yeah. That's, like, everyone immediately. Is is that Xbox game coming back or not? It's like that was my own selfish concern. I was like, yeah. video games, jerseys, you know, they're finally going to get revenue for like the actual sevens or 24s or whatever they're wearing on their backs instead of, you know, the NCAA, the university themselves. And I didn't even think about so many of these other things. And so, um, Chisholm, you kind of alluded to this earlier, uh, talking about, of course, you know, you have Dellinger saying officials contend that boosters are offering inducements to mar- that are masked as NIL. And then boosters Duh. were telling SI now that they're in compliance with state laws, yada, yada, boosters versus the NCAA. Yeah. Do you see like avenues for reform? If you think, do you think this is a real problem? And it, like, how, how do you view NIL now in comparison to where it maybe was started out as a thought process? Uh, I mean, it's close uh, to kind of what I anticipated. Uh, maybe accelerate a little bit quicker than I thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought boosters were going to be involved immediately. Um, you know, they've been involved for 30 years. Now that it now that it's illegal, why would they not immediately go there? And I, I'm sure that the SEC commissioner, Greg, Greg Sankey, and you know, the Pac-12, they, they all want to try to rein this in because it's moving so quickly. And that's probably incredibly frustrating for their coaching staffs. And now, you know, a guy like Brent Mittables is having to basically recruit his own team 365 days a year. That's, that's different. Um, and it's a big change. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not smart enough to be a lawyer. I just try to read people who know what they're talking about and then regurgitate that information. That's my whole job. I don't see how they think they're going to fix this. There, there is no, there's no stopping this, right? Like the Supreme court has already came out and said like, Free market's free market, bro. And so, like, the way I'm trying to explain it to people is like, think about you and your job, right? Like, you have a full time job, you work nine to five, 40 hours a week. And then, if you want to pick up a jar, a job on Friday nights, you know, bartending, and then your boss found out and called and said, No, you can't do that. You'd be like, What do you mean I can't do that? You know, that, that's not on your time. It's my time. I can do whatever I want. 
this money's outside the university, right? And like, that's the whole thing is it's not costing the school any money. Uh, it's all coming from outside donors. And frankly, uh, this is unpopular. I don't care if they're doing fake charity work. I don't care if they're, they're showing up at dealership signing autographs. Like if these kids can go like, uh, you might have to help me here. The, uh, the guard from Kansas state who just landed at Miami. Got the oh. 100K. Um, I know you're yeah. talking about, but I don't know. <laughs> so much pack? Yeah, pack. Yeah, yeah. So pack, uh, you know, he gets $800,000. Everyone loses their mind. And it's like, how are you going to pay this average college point guard $800,000 to come to Miami? And I'm sitting there in my chair going, if I was ever, I'd be going, who's his agent? I want that guy's agent because obviously he knows what he's doing. It's not, a, it, it's what you can get. And so, you know, if, if Connecticut in sports radio called me and said, hey, we want to pay you a million dollars. I'm not worth a million dollars. But if they offered me, I'd take it. I'm not stupid. And just like everybody else in that situation would be too. So I, I think it's just something that frankly, from a legal standpoint, because the Supreme Court said like NIL staying. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the NCAA said multiple times the transfer portal stuff's hard because they've already been sued once for restricting movement. Uh, and so that's somewhere I think that maybe they can make some progress, but they've already been shut down that once yeah. on once. And, yeah. and Jack's absolutely right. The NCAA is scared of its own shadow about getting sued right now. Um, so I think that might be here to stay too. And so what I would tell people is like 40 years ago, college football felt totally different than it did, did 10 years ago. And 30 years from now, it's going to feel totally different again. And I think this transition is very stark and very hard. But at the end of the day, I mean, and you guys would be better at this than I am because I, you know, I don't cheer for the team. I'm not, or I, I don't follow the team that closely. Like I'm just, I'm just trying to follow it from a thousand feet view. I'm not following one team very, very specifically. Saturdays feel the same to me, right? Like, yeah, you're in the middle of July and May, and like all this is different. But Saturdays when I show up at 11 a.m. because God knows that's the only time the Sooners can kick off. When I show up at 11 a.m. on Saturday, it's the same sport, right? It's the same uniforms, it's the same emotion, it's the same. Holy crap! Caleb Williams came back from Texas at halftime, and Spencer Rattler got benched, and it's the same stuff because Spencer Rattler was driving a big four by four. They didn't change any of the stories from last year, right? They didn't change any of the emotion from last year. So I think this adjustment. Frankly, what I would tell people is just turn off your phone. Like, if it bothers you, don't follow it because when the sport rolls around in the fall, it's going to be the same football team. It's going to be the same football games and the same schedule that you've loved for 20 years. It's all the stuff in between the games that now has gotten people in a tizzy. And I just, frankly, just tell you, it doesn't affect you. Move on. Like, it'll be okay. You'll, you'll get used to it. Do you guys think that, and this is just something I'm spitballing, do you guys think that the the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 and many of these college towns and really realistically, many of these companies that are associated with college football risk losing a ton of money by not having a season. And suddenly uh, players realizing, and of course players already knew this, but there was a sudden realization of many other people, many other entities that they wish maybe players wouldn't be real realizing is that, they were far more professional than they were actually amateurs. And that sped up this process of NIL that we're just not talking about. Do you think that's a possibility or just something that's just like off the wall? Yeah, you can definitely see your value as far as impacts on the community, especially if you look around campus corner and, you know, the lack of tailgating, the lack of people at the bars, the restaurants, that kind of stuff. Um, and you're a player and you look, oh, wow, you know, they're not there because I'm not there essentially, or they're, they're not there because they can't come to the stadium. They can't come see me. So, um, I think there is an element to that as far as just, you know, how valuable or valuable you think you are as a player. But at the same time, I think there's some element that they're there because of the logo as well. And you're kind of, your values enhanced by that logo. So 
I don't think it's all player value. I think there's kind of a 50-50 as far as you come to Oklahoma, your value is enhanced uh, dramatically than where it would be at maybe like a Texas Tech. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like Pat Mahomes got drafted how late? And if he's at Oklahoma, he's drafted. Oh, yeah, he's number one overall. Yeah. Pretty early. Absolutely. And so going on more things that are, are kind of like transcendent in that way, Oklahoma getting away from Bally Sports and into ESPN Plus. How big of a deal is that? That's massive. I mean, Bally Sports, you look at the, all the problems they have with the Thunder games, the softball games, um, pretty much anything they do is a problem. So uh, getting away from Bally Sports is nothing but a blessing for Oklahoma Their equipment, it, like, it, it's still, like, even, like, on the feed, it looks like it's still, yeah, like, from the 90s. My, my iPhone 12 and just yeah. live-streamed it at the like, stadium. Like, I airplayed my the same production to my, value. to my TV. Seriously. <laughs> and, I mean, the fact that in the era of streaming, you simply could not watch anything on Bally Sports if you have, like, I mean, I have Hulu TV. A lot of people have YouTube TV, stuff yeah, like that. I mean, yeah. a lot of us have that. I mean, it's a great product, but you couldn't watch Bally. I literally cannot watch Thunder Games. I have to drive to the garage or something like that. Like, or I illegally to to stream it. Thunder. I mean, which is fine, but, you know, it's uh, it's uh, you're alienating a very large chunk of your audience when you keep it that way. And Joe C I think recognized that obviously. And it's kind of a seamless transition too. That's the thing because you know, here in a year or two, all of this is going to be on sec network, which is all on ESPN plus and stuff like that. So basically you're going to have the same, you know, games and stuff like that. It's all just going to be under the sec network brand on ESPN plus mm -hmm. at that point. So it's a seamless transition. Mm -hmm. What I'm going to miss at that point is, you know, there's a lot of original OU programming, within the Sooner Sports TV situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm worried that some of this is going to go away once the SEC move happens. But, you know, I there is some individual school programming within that umbrella. So I'm hoping that a lot of that stuff stays around. That's uh, It's going to be something to watch, though. Justin, what about you? I do about the CSP Plus. Uh, well, first off, shout out to not having to do pay-per-view anymore. Uh, know, God bless. Uh, God shout out to me. not getting 200 DMs on the Saturday of the spring game, asking people, people ask me how to watch the game and me going, bro, you ain't <laughs> like you ain't watching the game. Uh, you know, so my personal mentions are a whole lot better. Uh, overall, though, I think Jack actually hit on the thing that I care about the most because in OU's press release, they hinted at some studio shows and, you know, we, we've kind of asked around a little bit, not saying this is going to happen, but that. There's talk that there's a possibility of for softball, basketball, and even possibly football on ESPN Plus, and then obviously the game being on ABC or wherever it is, uh, of OU hosting their own in-studio pregame and postgame shows, uh, which is different, right? Like, it doesn't exist. Um, and so ESPN, you know, carrying OU men's basketball, it's always basically just been like they've been in one basketball game, and then they cut to Norman, and now they're just taking that thing right over. The idea that OU fans would be able to tune in 15, 20 minutes early and have a little bit of a setup of like, who's here? They're, here's who they're playing. Here's some of their key players. Here's how these two teams look up. Like just, you know, a normal broadcast, I think is cool. Also for softball as well, which is obviously very, you know, a big deal right now. Um, so that, that stuff really interests me because that would be um, a big commitment, right? To, to run all those studio shows and hire, have all that talent. Again, just from my end, like I know that's a big commitment and a lot of people aren't doing that. So if OU is willing to invest in that and, I assume that probably is also foreshadowing a little bit to like what the SEC network is going to look like where maybe all the games are on there, but also every school has their own pre and post game show that's going on before and after the game. And like, that's just better content for the fans. 
What kind of network the Pac-12 is working with? They're working with ESPN right now with ABC. Yeah. Rumor is Amazon though, right? That's what yeah, I last time I read. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how it's always special for them. Um, so on the timeline today on Twitter on the Twitter sphere, which is always true, of course. Um, <laughs> there 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 was there's a inkling of you know Jerry Bohan and the. You know, the Baylor Jerry Gary Gary Jerry, Jerry I still Jerry. I'm not 100 percent sure I've done yeah, Gary several need, times I still don't know how to pronounce Ellinger Ellinger it's yeah. been you know eight years <laughs> just not sure Ellinger yes Ellinger until until he beats somebody else but you know you know stupid things spitballing who's going to be Oklahoma's basically any quarterback that yeah, that decides to transfer is yeah. a suddenly Oklahoma QB two material right right and so. My question, first of all, before we even talk about the quarterbacks and Lubby in general, is if if Jerry Bohannon or Gary, if we're, if we're going to go this route too, is your QB two, does he make you any better in that QB room, or how much better does he really elevate that QB room if you if you were to add him in comparison to like Ralph Rucker, Nick Evers, who is of course is just a true freshman, and Micah Bowens, who is there. But also the recruiting his brother. That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. He's there. You at least have a guy with um, big game experience at the very least. I mean, you. I mean, Gabriel. He's he's had some injury history, so I mean, you yep. you need a viable backup behind him. You need a guy who at least can manage a game. That's got at I least mean, like major yeah. Big Twelve experience, of right? Course. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he's uh he's not a world beater. I mean, I he's 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 fine, but you know he's better than the current alternative right now. I mean, uh, Nick Evers, he's going to be very good, I think, but he's not ready. Micah Bowens, uh, pro- probably never going to be ready. I, I, I wouldn't spend much time talking about Micah no, Bowens. True. No, You're no, not ready, and, uh, You're not uh, ready for, Rucker, the, for the Rucker takeover. Good, good story, but, um, the Ben Harris disrespect too. Come on now. He won four state titles at Carl Albert. Yeah, what are we doing? Well, yeah. It's uh, you know, it's, he's, he's not an ideal safety net there. As far as that's concerned now the future of the position is going to be good i mean with evers and uh, jackson arnold i mean you've got a pretty good one-two punch year after year right there we're not we're not doing this recruit a quarterback every other year thing anymore you're going to bring in a quarterback every year and have a little bit of depth and uh consistency there so uh yeah that's uh on the way out with lincoln riley i think but anyway i digress but um you know it's uh i think he's a very valuable asset. I think he's going to be, you know, someone brought up today, he would be pretty valuable in short yardage situations. And, uh, mm. you know, something that would be, you know, and here's the thing, Jeff Levy likes to run the quarterback a lot and he likes quarterback power run situations a lot. So this is a situation where I think he can definitely fit the bill. He's not a great runner, but he's a pretty decent runner. So he's a, a guy who could fit the system pretty well, I think. And, uh, you know, someone who could, you know, if having enough time for, to prepare i mean he could you know transition fairly seamlessly here and so steven let me get your opinion on this then OU does need a backup quarterback so badly i mean brent venables has been very transparent about it pretty much everybody in the program has been very transparent about they need a qb2 they can't have nick evers in there they win a legitimate scholarship quarterback if you're jeff levy and bohannon isn't the guy at the at this time at this point in time, because you were past the spring semester, basically for most universities are about to get past the spring semester. 
do you just go over the best guy available or do you go over the guy that maybe fits your system the best, but isn't as talented as other athletes that are out there? Well, I think you go with best available at this point. Um, obviously, it's kind of a tightrope because you don't want to take a guy that might look like an incumbent for the uh, the position when you're bringing in guys like Jackson Arnold and potentially mm-hmm. uh, DJ Lagway as well. So you don't want a guy that's really going to scare anyone off, but um, you definitely want that safety net there. And where I think, you know, that kind of is where Bohannon fits. He's a guy that's not really going to upgrade your talent per se in that that locker room but um he's not like a, that, he's not like a jackson room. dark kind of guy right because jackson yeah, he's, dark, he's i feel gonna like be there and you can win some games with him you can scheme around his strengths and weaknesses he's not going to be a total liability there so i think you take bohannon he's the best available uh, at least in ou's radar so i think he fits fits the bill i'm a little surprised that ou is in this position as far with as far as bohannon's concerned um because i mean he's oh it doesn't make any sense for me for bohannon he's leaving I don't know why Baylor he's because he didn't yeah. win the job and i don't i don't blame him at all i mean you know you can find a good landing spot um you know and you know be the starter somewhere so little surprised that he's coming to a place where you know a starter's already been declared and is there's a clear front runner there so it's uh it's a little odd and you know there's some, like you said, you know, there's some incumbents behind uh, Gabriel. I mean, you've got Evers and Jackson Arnold who uh, are waiting in the wings. So, I mean, no matter what, Bohannon's not going to be a long-term solution. So, uh, you know, it's at the same time, though, I mean, there's a good chance that he's going to get an opportunity next year. I mean, it's, you know, backup quarterbacks, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to, you know, get your shot. I mean, and, you know, Gabriel, like we've said, has an injury history. So, you know, it's, there's it's a there's a non-zero chance that he's going to start some games next year but i from a pragmatic perspective on his end i'm not sure i quite get it but if ou is in that position you've got to you've got to let him come in so so chisholm if if like like you just said you you know the whole bohannon thing doesn't really get it because like this this offensive system that they're running that they're wanting to run is basically baylor from 2014 everything mm-hmm. is an rpo um you're either taking it you're either giving it off or throwing it down deep to a receiver which is something that bohannon has not been able to execute like pretty much at all in his career um and so like let's say he is a qb2 what do you think that would really like severely handicap the offense considering that their offense is based up basically upon pace and space if, if you want to use basketball terms but sure. also the idea of hey we're going to focus in on the running back and the quarterback and have the safeties brought in back in tight because you're not too worried about Jerry Bohannon throwing over the top of your defense. Yeah. So I, I don't, I won't talk about it, but I, why Gary Bohannon is interested in OU is beyond me. If he wants to start, this obviously isn't his place. Um, he's got a couple years of eligibility. I, it doesn't make any sense to me, but as far as uh, his fit with this OU team, I think I might like him a little bit more than you guys do. I'm not saying he's great. I really am not. Uh, but he'd want he'd be the best backup quarterback in the Big Twelve, right? Like, he almost won the conference this past year, it, like almost won the conference, and he had some big plays against Oklahoma State this past season. Obviously, he played against OU as well. Uh, I mean, he would been in the Big Twelve championship game if he would have been healthy, and you know maybe wouldn't even be competing for his job if he hadn't gotten hurt going into the end of the year. I, I think he's competent. I think he's competent, and he's actually got my f- sneaky favorite thing about a backup quarterback. I frankly. If I'm allowed to be on my soapbox, I hate it when teams bring in a player who they know is worse than their starter, but plays the same way. 
Like they just, they're like, he's 60% of what our starter is, but he plays the same way. Well, that stinks. Like that's not good. Right. Like, and so now you're totally hampering your offense with a guy who maybe isn't ready to play or is just bad. I like backup quarterbacks that when they come in, they add a new wrinkle that the starter didn't have because that actually gives you a chance to win the game that he's been thrust into. Like some of the big problems that football teams have is they throw a guy out there who's not ready, trying to duplicate what the starter's doing, and he's not as good as that guy. They throw Gary Bohannon out there. To your point, they're going to run a lot of QB power, and Gary Bohannon's okay with that. Like mm-hmm. he's not going to be, uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel, who I think's got a little juice, uh, where maybe some of those eight yard run turns into 15, 18 yard runs, but he's going to get six or seven yards a pop. And we watched him just, I mean, just suffocate OU in the first half of a game this year. Like I think that's okay to bring in uh, a guy who's different than the starter, but competent. Uh, not great, like not an NFL prospect, not sniffing an NFL prospect, and but different. And I, I like that in a backup quarterback because I think that gives you an honest chance to win a game that maybe we're not supposed to. I mean, think a couple of years ago when OU's playing Baylor in the Big 12 championship game, right? Baylor's guard gets hurt. They bring in the backup quarterback. It's this kid who can't throw at all, can't throw at all. And Baylor almost wins that game because they can't stop the QB run. Like those wrinkles, like those mix-ups, I always find incredibly fascinating. And I don't know why teams don't do it more because if you bring it in your backup, you're already desperate. Like you're already desperate. So do something different. Don't do not do something that the team hasn't prepared for all week. Yeah, fair. And so shot out of a cannon, Jack, I'm coming to you first. Nine and a half wins. OU's first season in the SEC. You taking the over or the under? Taking the barely over. I think they go 10 and two. That's kind of how I felt about this season for a little bit. I, uh, I'm guys. I'm, Oddly worried about the Nebraska game in September. I don't think there are. Oh, no. Alan and I I talked about that a week and a half ago. Yeah. I I just feel like I I have a weird feeling about it. They're going to be jazzed up in Lincoln at the same time. I think no matter what, this is going to be a close game. (laughs) I, and then, you know, I think they're probably. There's always the chance to lose to Texas, even if they're incompetent. Texas can, they bring it when they play OU. So that's always kind of a toss up game. I mean, OU usually comes out on top in those, but it's still a bit of a toss up. And then there's always the chance of a stinker. So I'd say 10 and 2 and go to the Big 12 championship game. Steven, what about you? Yeah, I think I'm just over on that one. I think they're going to have enough talent to compete uh, at least with the the mid-tier teams in the SEC pretty well. Um, you know, culturally, we'll see where they're at. Um, in the trenches, we'll see where they're at too. But I think they can pull it out. I don't think they're going to just drop off on wins all of a sudden, um, especially, you know, with how they're recruiting and we think maybe how this class might end up. Uh, they should have some talent there to compete. Chisholm, I'm going to change up the question a little bit for you. What's this team's ceiling in the SEC, and what's their floor, do you think, in their first season? Well, first off, if they lose to Nebraska, Jack, you're coming to do my show that day because I, I won't be – I'm not taking those phone calls. I'm not reading those text messages. I'm not doing that. Um, it, man, it's tough. Like The SEC is obviously the SEC for a reason. I'm so fascinated to find out what this scheduling looks like. Do they do the pods? Do they do divisions? Right, right. Do they split? Like that – that could be huge, right? Like if OU ends up on the side with Texas A&M, Texas, Arkansas, right? Like and Alabama gets slipped over to the other side with Georgia. Well, holy hell. You know, I mean, they're, they're cooking with gas. Uh, so a lot of that depends on the schedule. I The Brent Venable stuff gives me hope, like with the way he's talking about this team, uh, that they're going to be able to make this transition. But that's all it is, right? Like I'm just being blatantly honest. Yeah. All the stuff he's saying sounds great. 
And if they show up and they lay it, and I've said all year, like, what is the, what is the, oh crap bombshell moment that could happen at the beginning of the year is I didn't even say lose to Nebraska. I said, if Nebraska puts up 35, 40 points, we only be looking at each other going, wait, 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 what do we sign up for here? Cause that's not a good sign. Cause Scott Frost has struggled all year. I mean, every game, he can't find a way to, to put a decent offense onto the field. I, my two cents would be, uh, if Revitables is delivering on what he says, which is maybe not, we're going to turn into national champion contenders uh, in two or three years, but we're going to get tougher in the middle. Uh, we're going to be better along the offensive line. And frankly, the defense isn't going to be so freaking vanilla that I could tell you what they're going to do before the snap of the ball. Then yeah, I think 10 wins is more than fair. Um, as long as they're not having to play Alabama and Georgia and LSU all in the same season. Um, I think 10 wins is, is more than fair. Uh, but you know, again, we haven't seen Brent Middles be a head coach. Maybe he's a lot more bark than bite. I'm not saying that's true. Just saying we don't know. Then you know it could be bad. Like th- this is a real, mm-hmm. this is a, a hell of a few years, man. And I, I'm pumped to to be covering this team. Like I'm sure you guys are because the, the possibilities are endless, right? Like there's right. a possibility they go to the SEC. It's everything that all the fans hope. They become national title contenders. They're up there with Alabama every year, and they're going back and forth and trying to you know owe you back at greatness. There's also a scenario they're they're Nebraska. Right, like they move to a different conference, they get their butts kicked early, they start losing recruits, and they they never pick themselves up off the mat. Like totally on the table, and I'm not saying one's more likely than the other, but like that that difference, right? That that wide gate of what they could look like when they land in the SEC is like musty television. Like those first two years are are just so critical that they don't need to go in and win the thing, but they they don't need to go in there and get pushed around and look like little sister either. You know what I mean? Right. They, they've got to find a way to be competitive in a big way, and like. So you're talking about floor and ceiling. I mean, yeah, I think 11 wins is probably the floor. And if, if Brent Vittables can't find a way to get this team SEC ready and they get pushed around up front, I mean, seven wins is is more than fair to me. I think that's interesting because like, I, I'm glad that you acknowledged that because that was something I was going to bring up as well is, are they going to do the damn divisions or are they going to do the They got to do the pods. Don't be they, cowards. They, like, Put them in pods. If they, if they do the divisions, it becomes seemingly more like, Quite easier, right? Because you yeah. would have to force Alabama and Auburn for East uh, into in order to compete against what Texas, LSU, A and M, and Archie and Mizzou every year. Yeah. In comparison to you know like what's going on in the East with if Florida gets their shit together, Georgia, uh, Alabama, you name them. Like that, those are the towns. That, those are the schools out in the East. Whereas the pods. It offers you actually like more excitement every year. Like, what ooh, what pod are you going to go against, or what two other pods are you going to go against? Which is really intriguing, mm-hmm. and so it's so hard to gauge. So, like, that's why I asked, like, what what is their ceiling? What is it for? It depends on the year too, and it's it's so intriguing to think about. And also, kind of thinking about further into the team, the after the especially after the display of the spring game. Of course, it's really hard to really evaluate the spring game in general. Just because, like, it was a talent divided on both sides, it was clear what was prioritized for each team, and we all we already know that Marvin Mims is going to be the leading receiver of this team, or at least most likely should be the leading receiver of this team. Do they throw the ball to him in the second half, yeah, or is he still just a first half player? Because that I'm might change sure, my answer. I'm not sure. It depends on if Margin Hooks is tweeting about it at the time. <laughs> um, oh, and so, uh, <laughs> and so that we we know he's going to be the number one option. So, Chiz, I'm going to come right back at you. Who do you think is our second and third in receptions or yardage this coming season? 
Uh, yeah, so uh, I think Steel Weiss um, and Jaleel Farouk is a guy who I'm like really sneaky in love with this offseason. Uh, I, I think he's got a real opportunity. And that's not true. Did a great Drake Stoops, who I think will be at, you know what Drake Stoops is. Uh, frankly, he should have played a lot more last year. They needed him in a big way, and they just didn't play him. He should have played a lot more snaps. The wild, So th- my answer is those three. Uh, the wild card to me is Braden Willis, because you go look at who OU is recruiting right now. Like They are pounding the tight end position like they're tr- they're they've offered like eight guys i think at that spot yep. going into next year's class why go look at jeff levy's de- offenses these past no tight end use like that was the big thing whenever they hired him i was like oh man Braden wills better go to the league <laughs> like he's not gonna have targets but now now they're recruiting all these tight ends so i don't know if like uh lane kiffin was anti-tight end or what or if jeff levy got in the lab on the whiteboard and came up with some new formation but they look like they're going to use that because why else would they be investing so many recruiting resources and trying to get the next Braden Willis uh, if, if they weren't going to? So uh, I think my stock, like easy answer is the wide receivers. But I mean, Braden Willis might be having a breakout year and we're just not reading the tea leaves right. Uh, Jack, what about you? Okay, so two separate answers here. Receptions, second. I'm going to say Drake Stoops, honestly. I think okay. because of the way that this offense is going to function, you're going to, you know, some, you know, quick passes, you're going to find a guy who finds a little cushion in the zone, and that's going to be Drake Stoops in this instance. You think so. Brent Venables is just, like, funneling him uh, film of Hunter Renfro just, like, Oh, constantly? yeah, absolutely, and <laughs> as he should. I mean, that's who you're looking for. I mean, that's – I'm sorry. It is what it is, but, like, yeah, that's – uh, you know, he's uh, – I think he's going to be second in receptions. I think second in yards. And, heck, I mean, maybe even first in yards. Farouk, I think. Wow. I think he's going to be your deep threat this year. I think I, – I love Theo Wees, but I'm just – I'm not sure what he's going to look like after missing an entire season yeah. due to yeah. injury. Yeah. He's going to be good. I'm biased. I like Wees. Like, Theo's, I, I, I Theo's a great kid, and so, like, I'm just super yeah. biased. It's, love Theo. Farouk, though, I, I – I, we saw flashes against Oregon, and granted, I mean, Oregon had like 10 scholarship players available <laughs> on defense for that game. Just on you guys. I played safety that game. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it was something. But, um, yeah, yeah I, think, I, think, I think Farouk for yards, though. Steven, what about you? Who, who, who's, who's, who's second and third behind Mims most likely? I think Weiss will probably take the second position. I mean, he just looks good coming out of this, this offseason. Um, you can tell he's put a lot of work in, into the weight room, um, getting his body right for this season. But at the same time, you do have to kind of recognize that he's had some health issues there. So if he stays healthy, he's an obvious number two for me. Um, if he doesn't, you know, Farouk, he has that pop. He's he's a pretty exciting-looking player. Um, but I'll say, you know, the recent rumors that uh, was the Arizona State kid, the LV Bunkley-Shelton kid, if yeah. he comes on campus, I think he is now the number two in receptions and and the yards for that one. So, I think that's at least third. I think fair. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. And and that's interesting uh, because you know before Theo's injury, he was like really primed and really being talked up as a guy. That, that Baylor game a few years ago, man, was I mean, yeah. they some flash. He right? carried them to a victory. Like he he was the reason they won the game. Yeah. He was that a double big catalyst move was for still- that magical 100 <laughs> percent, and like it's like it's like oh my gosh this guy's making like upperclassman level moves with Jalen hurts as your qb by the way in that game that fumbled the <laughs> hey ball whoa 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 like whoa, whoa, whoa i'm an eagles fan chill out there hey, come on I'm now just, i'm just saying i'm just saying i'm just saying the man needs to hold on to the ball i mean there's less there's less i of that going on in, in philadelphia but but like theo weiss like he was he was primed to have a big 
like big time season, but he gets injured. And so now it's like, okay, going back to the drawing board, actually like watching the entire season for most or for most of last season and the playing a little bit. It's like, is he primed for a breakout season? He looks good. He's put in the work. Does he trust what's going on with his body? And so I'm going to put him as pencil him as number two. And then maybe that third guy to Chisholm's point, actually, I think, I think there's a case for Braden, Braden Wills to be, to be made there is because I think a no tight end thing is a hypo thing. That's that's what I think. And because once he got to Ole Miss, uh, I know last year was a little bit different. They started using all kinds of heavy sets with tight ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just seeing the hell, just even sp- seeing the spring game with the very vanilla offense with dudes like Daniel Parker Jr., who is basically just a blocking tight end, is running he like more athletic than I thought. He's, yeah, th- that's exactly what I thought. I, I thought like, it was like Trayvon West. Block, blocking tight end only. It's like he's trying to slow play us. Hey, like, I'm, yeah. I'm the best blocking tight end in the country. So that we, our expectations are so low. If he catches a cold, <laughs> we're surprised. Yeah, I, I, I thought he was Trayvon West running a slant to the secondary behind the freaking linebackers. Like, hold up, wait, no, wait, rewind. That's number 80. Daniel Parker is running routes, and so... I think that if if Braden Willis had not have been on the white team of the spring game, he probably would have had a lot more opportunity because you already had Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss on the red team. Kind of unfair. And so that's probably why they put Farouk and Willis together. So I think Willis has a really big shot. I mean, no doubt Drake Stoops is a wide receiver. It's going to be the guy that's on the field. We need a clutch reception. He's going to be one of those three guys that's on the field catching a pass. But I think there's a case for 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 Willis to definitely get that third in receptions behind Marvin Mims, who is your game breaker at that wide receiver position currently. And so, kind of like heading on to this next suggestion, uh, Stephen, I'm coming to you. Major concerns entering summer ball for the Sooners, and of course, it's just workouts and workouts and hoping not to get injured, but. What are your major concerns as the Sooners enter the summer after all the workouts and out of all the notes and camp notes from spring? Yeah, I'm going to go with a pretty vanilla answer here. It's got to be the offensive line. Um, and maybe it's just because in the spring game, they kind of mix things up. They mix up their personnel, kind of see who fits where and what kind of groups fit together. And, and you don't want to put all the same starters on the same team and kind of you know even it out a little bit. But uh, the offensive line just has to get better. They have to find some rhythm there. Um, and I think they will. It's just going to take more time. I think um, the tower from Cal looks really good. Oh, yeah. 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 No, they have some exciting pieces. They definitely have some talent there. Um, I thought the the TCU kid, Guyton, looked yep. really good. Obviously, he's a little skinny, so he's going to need you know probably another year in the weight room before we really see him. But they have some pieces there. It's kind of a matter of can, can Bean Bo put them together. Yeah. Or make By them work Texas together game, at least. Right. Right. Well, that's Hopefully Nebraska. The, the marker. Yeah. Uh, Jack, same question. Uh, major concern heading into the summer, if any. Well, it is the offensive line, and I think it's it's such a huge variable. I mean, for a few reasons. One, you have a little, you have some new personnel there. I mean, you mentioned Matower and Guyton, but uh, you know, Benny Wiley is out now, and you <laughs> saw gradually Mr. Yoga oh, himself. Hey. Yoga yeah, I mean, is important to the body. Okay. Did you guys die laughing when you saw USC's first workout and they had the five pound kettlebells like I did? Because I mean, I couldn't handle it. Like it was, it was like it's like they posted that photo for me. I thought, I thought it was actually like like a, fo- a, a Photoshop of like maybe like a women's class had just come in before <laughs> them, but it was just actually the USC athletics facility. But yeah. I mean, you saw gradually over time 
after Wiley entered the program, the physicality of the offensive line went down year after year after year. Now you have the first season of uh, Schmitty being back. I'm not expecting a change. Lead, right. It, it's it's going to take a year or two probably. But, you know, I think one of the biggest things that's coming in right now, it's a culture change within the program. I mean, I know that word culture, it's, you know, overused in football sometimes. But, you know, it's it. I think, I mean, every single former player you listen to talk about how you know, much of an impact he had during the offseason and how much of an impact he had on the mentality of the team. I think, I mean, you're going to, I think, you know, next year, I think the physicality should be a little bit better. And one of the main things, I mean, the conditioning seemed to get worse every year with the offensive line under Wiley. And I... The fucking discipline of the team. Yeah, and discipline too. I mean, it's it's... You know, when you're rotating in Eric Swenson because your tackle's tired, Jesus I mean, we're Christ. we're really please, we're hitting some low levels. I'm getting some real PTSD with that name right now. Please God. But yeah, it's I think it's <laughs> it's just so intriguing because that's the biggest variable with this new change in um, strength and conditioning. I, and I, because I, I I think the defense, you know, with Venables coming in, I think most people expect it across the board to improve a little bit this year not not drastically this year but you know a little bit better and it wasn't frankly it wasn't that bad last year i mean it was there were times where the defense saved the offense's bacon last year but uh you know it's the in the skill positions should be fine quarterback gabriel he's not going to win the heisman but he's a very very adequate person for this system the only huge, huge variable here is the offensive line, and I think a lot of it hinges on this uh, how they adapt with uh, Jerry Schmidt coming in. So I think that's uh, it's a very intriguing storyline. It's the storyline of the offseason, frankly. So wow, geez, it's like I you guys are more worried about the offensive line than I am, I guess. Like because I mean, of <laughs> course, like I I I see Andrew Rame and I see okay. I see Andrew Rain progressing, and they also have Conjol coming back. They also have uh, Chris Murray coming back. So you've got dudes, and, and Matower, so who's from Cal. So you have a ton of like guys on the on the inside. And it's like really figuring out. All right, Wanya Morris, are you actually going to be one the Wanya Morris you thought you were getting from Tennessee? Who's going to be the other tackle? Who's going to be the other bookend? And so I'm not too worried about the offensive line, uh, just considering that you are going to have at least three to four solid pieces there that, you know, you're, they're in the NFL, Marquise Hayes, Harris Robinson, they're going to shoot you in the foot with a false start every other snap or possession. I mean, like, I'm glad they were blocking downfield and sometimes getting 15-yard penalties for being overly aggressive, but my God, the amount of times they shot themselves in the foot because they were so undisciplined was, like, mind-boggling to me. My, my biggest concern is actually on the opposite side of the trenches. I think the the defensive line, I'm not necessarily concerned. It's my my biggest question mark. I mean, of course, you have Jalen Redmond coming back. That's your that's your that's the diamond of the piece, right? The Jalen Redmond's coming back, and you got the Isaiah Coes, you got the JUCO guys, you have Jordan Kelly, who you hope makes a leap. You know, you got Ethan Downs, who I think might be a little undersized. Let's see what Reggie Grimes can do. And so it's like, that's kind of a mystery to me. And of course, you know, Brent Venables likes to be multiple. So you're going to see four, two fives, three, three fives, adapted four, two fives. You're going to see a lot of things. So 
it's kind of hard to see where things are fitting. I mean, especially with Jeffrey Johnson's addition to the defensive line room as well. And so it's like, okay, Jeffrey Johnson, this dude is a guy that's very, very highly praised within Tulane. You've got Jalen Redmond. How are the others going to fit around them? You don't necessarily have that bell cow they've had in years prior uh, and maybe taken off the field on third down along with Nick Benito, who just got drafted in the second round, but I digress. Uh, the, the defensive line intrigues me the most. I'm not, I'm not necessarily worried about the offensive line. Chisholm, what about you? Uh, I think the off- so not worried about the offensive line. I, I would say there is a little bit of hope that it's going to be like stellar. I don't think it's going to be stellar. Uh, I think it's going to be better because of Smitty. I think it's also going to be better because they're not playing a guard at right tackle. They're playing a right tackle at right tackle, and that that helps. Uh, so like marginal improvement, um, I think is reasonable expectation. I'm not worried about it though being awful. I don't think that's like coming down the pipe. Uh, I, I I agree with you. Defense is actually my concern, but. Like the defensive line stuff, like we know the guys. Just go look at the height and weights of these guys. These are not Brett Vittable's defensive tackles right. or defensive ends. Like th- yeah. these are guys who he is going to play in his system, but they don't. They're not guys he would have recruited. Frankly, mm-hmm. uh, he wants bigger bodies. Uh, I, I think for me, the defense that actually, I'm. I don't know if I'm worried about. It. I'm just fascinated to see because it could be a disaster. Is, is a learning curve? Is the learning curve? They went from running. I, when I. I talked to a handful of the guys in the secondary. When I tell you they were doing the same thing every, I mean the same thing. Third and six, fourth and one, first and twenty. Doesn't matter. It's this. They the secondary was running the same coverage every snap. Yep. Right. And the linebackers are reading the, the defensive line the same way every snap. The only thing that was changing was if there was a twist, and if so, who was it on the defensive line? Outside of that, everything else was the same. It was it was so vanilla and so easy to to interpret. So now these guys are having to learn a playbook. Like Vittables has plays and, and, and formations and mixes up and and you know ways to mix up the defense and that's just something these guys haven't had to do and so mm-hmm. they're going for running really the most standard defense maybe in college football and you know the speed D has success. Yeah. I'm going to look at my part. wrist and see what my one job is for yeah. this play <laughs> yeah. of, the, of these four different variations of the same play and I'm going to do that right now. All right, right. ball snap. Yeah, it, I mean and now and now these guys are like like DJ Graham was talking the other day about like you know. He has to learn how to blitz. He hasn't. Ever, he hasn't blitzed in college football. He's never had. He's never had to try, try to get past an offensive lineman. You know, it's like it's something he's never done. But now he's being asked to do. Uh, and so, like that element of it, of like we had coverage bus last year, right? And they're running cover too, <laughs> like with yeah. off man coverage. Like we had coverage bus. That's insane. And now they're going to be mixing and matching and running. You know, cover three and cover one and and press man coverage, which. Thank the Lord with the bad quarterbacks in this conference. They're going to play for some press man. I, yep. I couldn't fathom. You talk about Gary Bohannon being bad. Why they're not pressing the Baylor receivers that entire game. Whenever he can't throw a slant route is beyond me. Uh, but you know, like that is, that is going to be a big giant, massive learning curve. Cause I mean, that playbook's big. Um, and so I think frankly, they're going to be some, some mental errors early. That that's one of my biggest questions too. Uh, and, and I think, I, I think we've talked about it. You mean me, Steven have talked about it uh prior to this as well as like when does this when is this learning like this learning curve of the offense is going to be quicker just because you have an extension of levy on the field and and dylan gabriel who's played within somewhat most of that system of course with the lane kiffin wrinkles mixed in whereas the defense like you just said chisholm one read of like five different plays and that was it that Mm -hmm. that's it and now you're being asked to defend certain certain blades of grass on the field (laughs) going for like checking in from man to zone to going all kinds of different formations 
um, being incredibly multiple, having different kinds of variations of sets of guys. I mean, like Brent Venables one year at Clemson didn't have enough guys in the trenches. Like you suggested, like they don't have those big bodies that he wants those massive bodies. That's why there's, they're going to the Southeast for those guys. And he went to John Haycock and was like, Hey, we don't have, we don't have enough big, but big bodies to run this four, four, three, four, two, five. Uh, and so he runs, he learns to run a three, three, five, which is apparently the bane of Lincoln Riley's existence. If you run an umbrella coverage, uh, because you know, you actually have to make them work for their stuff. If he, if you know, if they can't run the ball or figure out that they should run the ball. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's something that I've been thinking about consistently and me and Steven been talking about it. And so Steven, what do you feel confident about going into this off season then what, about this summer, about but going into workouts, what's something that, you know, you can kind of hang your hat on. I think the running back situation is a lot better than people anticipated. Obviously, Eric Gray kind of looks a little bit better. I think he's put on something like 12 pounds over the mm-hmm. offseason. Uh, Javante Barnes looks looks the part for the most part. I mean, he still needs to put on some weight, but kid looks pretty special there. So, is he um, is he tr- is he tr- is he early Trey Sermon for you? <laughs> I don't know if he's Trey Sermon or not because Trey Sermon had one little run style and that was it. It was go downhill or I guess two would be dance side to side till you're tackled, but. Yeah. Uh, in the Javante later Barnes years has so much versatility years. i think oh yeah yeah <laughs> but you know early trey sermon run downhill maybe catch a pass here and there i think he can do that so uh but i think the running back room i, I would also say the safety room is a lot better talent wise we obviously there's a learning curve there they can't just those guys were on the team back. last year steve in case you weren't aware they, they, they couldn't play they safety didn't play. they didn't rotate in key they lawrence only... and jada Cole, <laughs> jada coleman's boyfriend it's pat fields and that's it so yeah. yeah uh no but i like the athleticism i mean billy bowman looked pretty good back there uh key lawrence is looking pretty good back there so my favorite player i think you get an I love upgrade Keith. in talent um obviously not much experience but uh i think it's exciting Jack, you, what, uh, thoughts, positive ones? I am much more confident that this team will not have issues getting up for games. Mm. I don't think you're going to have as many emotional letdowns. You're not going to have a Kansas situation. Yep. Frankly, I mean, I, and I, I didn't think it was always that big of an issue, especially under Lincoln Riley. I just think it's going to be so much more improved under Brent Venables. Just it, it says more about Venables than it says about Riley, frankly. I mean, he, for lack of a better analogy, um, Brent Venables is Bill Snyder on cocaine. <laughs> I mean, I, he, he's like an inner. That's, that's, that's the name of the that podcast. That's, not, that's, the, that's the name of the incredible. podcast. That's the name of the podcast episode. I mean, he's, he's a Brent Venables is Bill Snyder an, on cocaine. He's an extremely exuberant version of Bill, Bill Snyder. Essentially, he's he seems to. I mean, he you know played under Bill Snyder, worked under Bill Snyder for a long time, and then um, you know worked under Dabo for a while, who was like a you know redneck Bill Snyder, basically. So uh, you know, it you're, you're getting a little bit of that here. Am I, I also I, Bill Snyder? Yeah, Bill Snyder. Okay. I'm the I'm the younger Middle Eastern version of Bill Snyder, <laughs> if, if everybody is aware. But yeah, I, I just I, I think you've got a guy who um you know players are I mean the program is gonna be in the vision of this guy, and I think he's gonna that type of attitude's gonna rub off on people in a positive way, I think. So uh you know, I think uh, the mentality and stuff like that. I think that's one of the ways that that uh, 
you know, kind of manifest itself there. So I, I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, that's, that, that's the, you know, aside from personnel, Mm-hmm. that's something within the program for this season that I'm most confident in. Chisholm, what what can you hang your hat on for the Sooners this coming season, if you like? Uh, yeah, so first off, safety is, I mean, I can't tell you how excited I am to watch a football team that finally has guys in the back end who can make a play. Jesus, Mary, Joseph. I, I get that they didn't blow any coverages and they wrapped up, but can we can we come up with a, a turnover? Like, can, yeah. we, can we do something to, to, to flip a football game once? Uh, and so, Key's my favorite player on the team. Uh, I think he's... I think he's going to have a couple of plays that fans are going to, want to throw something at the TV because, you know, he's going to make some mistakes, but he's also going to come up with a bunch of turnovers, man. He, he's just a magnet. Uh, so that would be number one. But I think the thing that I actually am the most excited about this season is, frankly, OU fans are ticked off, right? Like, I've been to a lot of games in the stadium. I've sat in that press box a lot, and the environment has been, eh, Right, like sold out. Like people are there. Than, less than tame, though. Yeah, yeah, but like they're just there, and like that's cool, bro. They showed up for the spring game, like it was the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like they're gonna come in into this first week, and they're gonna be ticked off, and they're gonna be fired up, and like let's get some chants going, let's play some music, let's like let's have a college football atmosphere that frankly has we not been Caleb there in a while. Chance. Yeah, let's get some we want Caleb chants as well, booing Spencer Rattler, all the stuff. Like let's get some like actual like. Big time. I, I'm trying not to swear, but like you know, you can swear on here. We don't. I don't oh, care. Let's get yeah. some big dick energy from OU. I mean, this is a big time program. Like this fan base in the stadium sometimes just frankly act like they were bored. Like, go watch a game at Clemson. Go go watch a game at LSU. LSU is. Oh my god, dude! Oh, if only like a you knew how many we times I said that on the do. goddamn podcast. Yeah, but like, and so like I've said on the radio a bunch, and frankly, it never changes. But here's what it took. It took a coach leaving in the dead of night after losing Bedlam, flirting with a bunch of programs the entire time, and trying to steal half the roster. And now this this fan base seems pissed. And I'm t- I, I interact with them every day, right? Like, it's all it is. It's people frustrated and ticked off and angry. And I'm excited to see that in the stadium for the first time in my at least in my career. Like, I've never seen that. Yeah, I, I think I think that's really unique, and I I think you're right. And I think it's not just the uh, the fans too, the the team as well. And, and and to Jack to Jack's point, that's something that I'm hanging my hat on for this for this summer. The team is not is obviously not going to be as talented as they should have been this year uh, I, with the departure of Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, and several others. Right, the team is just not going to be as talented on paper as they were this last year. However, I think. With Brent Venables, I think with Jeff Lebby, I think with Schmitty for sure. Everybody forgets about you know good old good old uh, Ted Roof. Uh, you know he's a he's a big part of the team. <laughs> no, no, let's not lie to ourselves. It's Brent Venables' defense. Roof is just there to make it make it run. Uh, but no, I'll the, say the, I was hundred percent wrong on roof. I thought that guy was going to be super boring. He's hilarious. Like, oh no, yeah. Oh no. He's, oh, he's, he's so awesome. much more personality than I was expecting. I he, thought he was going to be like hanging out with the librarian. With him here. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. He brings, uh, he's a funny uncle energy. He does. He does. I'm into it. Energy. I'm totally yeah. into it. And, but the, the thing I can all, I, the thing I know I can hang my hat on going into this fall and the summer into the fall, um, our games exactly like Jack was talking about. It's the games, it's the Kansas State games, it's the Texas games, it's the Iowa State games, and maybe even the TCU games some years. Is Oklahoma, Oklahoma's going to get punched in the face earlier, early in the game, and what are they going to do about it? 
Are they actually going to swing back? Are they going to lie down? Are they going to like startle for a second? Are they going to blink first and have to recover from like a 14 point, 17 point, 21 point hole? Who knows? And so now I'm no longer worried about this team not being physical. I know this team is going to be more than tough as nails because a, what they just went through, of course, like regarding like everything, you know, the, you know, the head coach, like you just said, leaving in the middle of the night after a bedlam game with Caleb Williams in the car with them, which is oddly suspicious. Uh, and <laughs> having after, after having a house in LA and, and escrow in September. Um, and then you like, you combine all of that with the amount of discipline that is going to be really, really, really pushed into this team. Like, they this this team and this, the same exact players that were talking about what it was like under Grinch in comparison to Mike Stoops are like you know the that transition there was oh we're we're finally being held accountable for like our actions and other things and if we don't make a rep or if we don't if we don't miss it if we don't make our times if we mess up outside of whatever we have to pay the consequences of doing that. And you have the same players that reiterate that, that were saying that about Mike Stoops in comparison to an Alex Grinch defense from now saying, hey, oh my God, like don't miss a workout. Don't miss this because they are really not messing around. I don't want to be messing around with Schmitty. I like they are really holding people accountable. So it's like you even have more of an accountability factor, even from the presence in the eye point view of Caleb Kelly, who's been there through, through Mike Stoops, through Alex Grinch, and now through Brent Venables and, and, and Roof as well, if you want to say Roof is the actual de facto uh, defensive coordinator for this team. But it's just so intriguing to think about the amount and of discipline that people are stacking up on each other. So, like, the amount of discipline and the amount of toughness this team is going to have, I think is going to carry them further than a, their individual parts of the team. I think the sum of the whole of the team will be better with the, that amount of discipline and uh, that amount of hard work and kind of tough as nails mentality combined. I could be wrong, but I think it'll be very, very helpful for teams like, again, like Nebraska early on in the season because they're going to want to do the same thing. It's a cloud of dust and four yards, and they're going to see what they can do with OU as far as a defensive line of those linebackers. I mean, that that's what I think is going to, like, don't, don't you think that's what's going to happen in Lincoln? The Casey Thompson's going to be out there running some sort of option and RPOs and stuff like that. Like that's exactly what's going to happen. And so I'm not necessarily as worried about that. Um, kind of to end the podcast. What is everybody's thoughts currently on, on, on Patty Gasso and when she gets her massive 200 foot statue in front of the new softball stadium that need that, that needs to be built like now. Um, that statue needs to be, you know, they, they need to be working on it right now. I mean, it needs to be there when that new ballpark opens up. Like I'm talking pyramid size statues. <laughs> oh no. It, 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 you know, she is made um, out of bronze like like actual bronze, knock over Lloyd Noble, put it right Saban there. of softball. Like it, it, it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, it's, uh, she's got five national championships. She's gonna get a six this year. It's, uh, you know, she, uh, she is a giant in the sport, and she is, she's arguably the greatest coach this university's ever had in any sport. 
Dude, I, I think she is wild. Point. I, she is at this point. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't think um, we've had someone quite that accomplished ever. So, um, you know, she. I think she raises the profile of this athletic department as a whole. I think um, you know she's good for the university's brand, and she's spearheading a the growth of a sport in general. I mean. Softball is growing in popularity like crazy right now. Bed- Bedlam was her on primetime ESPN last yeah. night. Right. I mean, I mean, it's you know, her program's at the forefront of this too. I mean, it's uh it's really exciting to watch. And I mean, I think softball is just a it's a really good made for TV sport. I mean, I'm not saying it's made for TV, but I mean it's a great it's a very TV friendly sport, is what I'd yeah. say. It's, it's a lot more it's easy to watch than baseball. Yeah. It's it's very easy to watch. It's very entertaining. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's going to be growing in popularity more and more and more over the years. And as long as OU has her, I mean, uh, this program is going to be the face of that sport as it's growing in popularity, which, I mean, I don't think the value of that can be overstated. I mean, this is, it's really establishing OU as like the power of the sport and the marquee power of it. And it's, uh, I think that's just really cool. Chisholm, what is what does it say to you that Patty Gassa wins her first national title in the year 2000 and then suddenly nearly 20 years later is ripping off like what is probably the most like immaculate stretch of softball play in her later years of her tenure at OU? It probably means she's going to stay coaching a little bit longer. Uh, I mean, I think Jack's absolutely right, man. She she's I I. I I always hesitate saying like she's the most accomplished coach in OU history because there's just frankly sports that I just don't know about. Like, I, maybe some people say KJ Kindler with the gymnastics team. Obviously, yep. they've racked off some national titles as well. Uh, but I mean, I, for me, the way I would like try to quantify Patty Gasso is I started doing radio in 2013. I, we never had anybody ask us to talk softball. Frankly, if we tried to, there would be people who were incredibly frustrated that we were wasting their time. I've started. In the past three weeks, 10 into the 15 shows with softball, right? Like here locally, people care more about that than the NBA playoffs right now. Like, I mean, that's what our, that's what our ratings show is that when we talk softball, people listen, when people, we talk NBA playoffs, people don't. And so she has made a sport that frankly was, I don't want to be rude, but a little bit irrelevant here in Oklahoma to now one of the biggest things that I can talk about on a radio show to, to help boost my ratings. Like that's insane. Like that's, it, that's real massive impact. It's almost like the second most talked about sport behind OU football, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I oh, mean, people yeah. people enjoy that conversation a lot more this year than, like, OU men's basketball. Like, yeah, I mean, we see what it. moves the needle on articles. You know, even – here's the thing. Even when I took over in 2016, I mean, softball was a big deal at that point. I mean, OU had yeah, just won a national championship. But, you know, if you wrote articles on it, I mean, it would get, you know, it would get some decent traction. But now, I mean, it does better than men's basketball. And, I mean, this is – I mean – I mean, men's basketball, you can say what you want about OU men's basketball fandom. I mean, I have my opinions. I've been a lifelong OU basketball fan, but um, and I've been frustrated with the support my entire life. But, uh, you know, it's it's surpassed men's basketball as far as what can move the needle on our site. And, you know, Chisholm, I mean, what you've said, I mean, kind of backs that up. So, I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. And, and, and come, coming to you, Stephen, uh, for the last word, and I'm switching sports on you last second. After seeing the amount of success that Jenny Baranchek has had with 
OU women's basketball in her first year uh, with, of course, like you have a, a, a points leader sitting out. And of course, you now have a freshman point guard that started at the high school right down the road at Norman High in Kelby, Washington. Um, and they take that team to pretty high, to pretty high uh, places in, 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 her, in her first year. Um, in, in estimation, how many millions of dollars do you think Sherry Cole stole from the University of Oklahoma? <laughs> oh, it's upwards of 100 at this point and in loss value, because I mean, you look at where OU has put their, their other programs outside of football. Um, they haven't really been the talk of the town essentially. And now you have people invested in women's basketball and obviously softball and, and even more so in basketball. And it's, it's about time that, you know, OU moved past the Sherry Coles where it kind of makes the sport, boring in a way like you kind of know what you're going to get and and now you have a lot of teams a lot of excitement a lot of good players um kind of give them a good stage like just get rid of the lloyd noble get rid of the old softball stadium for the love of god programs kill the lloyd noble please give these teams a a nice place to play i mean you're getting rid of bally sports you can actually see it on tv now like i don't even know how to get onto ballysports.com like i can't find anything and now i can go watch any team i want to it's it's about time that OU kind of invests in a nice place to play for, you know, for the, for the athletes and the fans. Bally sports, you can get on dial up internet. Uh, I heard uh, it works really well over there. And, and no, Wait, you guys are watching that live. They're just sending me DVDs in the mail. DVDs. You got to mail those backwards, like 20 bucks. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like the early Netflix, but shittier. And yeah. they, sometimes you get a VHS instead of a DVD and they just tell you to deal with it. And like on a sticky note, uh, <laughs> some of them are scratching. Like this is not even gonna play. Yeah, no, no, it's it's fine. Just that was the, the worst. Pay the fees. Pay the that was the worst. <laughs> yeah, Brilliant movie or a game coming home and scratched. Can't even use it. Golly. Thank goodness we figured that out. Like I didn't do this. You guys yeah. like this. <laughs> but it's it's so intriguing to think about that the entire women's team. They're like, man, Coach Jenny. Like she's the best coach I've ever had. And to where the now you have Maddie Williams and pretty much the entire team that's available to come back next season in comparison to what Porter Moser is currently experiencing, which he'll have to be Portal Moser once again, uh, which I don't imagine that he admires very much with uh, some staffing stuff going on and behind the scenes as well. Um, But I want to, first of all, thank Chisholm for joining the podcast with us tonight. Chisholm, man, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, guys great. With all this stuff with us. Where can our listeners find your work and can find you and just reach you in general? Sure. Yeah. At Chisholm Holland on Twitter. I make it pretty easy. Uh, and then I'm on every day from three to six on the franchise. Uh, then OU pregames and postgames for football season. So a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys letting me on, man. You guys have a killer podcast, a great platform. So frankly, I, I, I appreciate you letting me piggyback off of you. That That's what this is. So thank you for the, hey, man, uh, thank you for any, the plug. Any, anytime. We, 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 we get piggyback rides for free. I don't even <laughs> charge anymore. Like, anymore? It's, it's, oh. it's wild. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, sometimes, you know, it, you know, with everything going on, like, you know, money has to be an issue. You know? <laughs> sure. Um, but all right. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. We appreciate all you guys for listening. Uh, check us out on Crimson and Cream Machine.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CC Machine. You can follow Jack at J Larry Shields. You can follow Steven at OEUPDATESP. You can follow me at Cameron Robbie and CCM. Like Chisholm just said, you can follow him at Chisholm Holland. And you can listen to him on the airwaves, on the radio, on the franchise. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll check you later. <laughs>